Welcome to Alpha Coding Podcast, an all-access pass to medical coding and billing pro tips that help you start your week off smarter. And now, here is your host, Tony L. Holmes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alpha Coding Podcast series. I am your host, Tony L. Holmes. Welcome to episode 30 of the podcast. Today is July 27th, and I hope everyone is doing well, staying safe, and taking extra precautions. I know here in Florida, we're having a spike in COVID-19 cases, so just be safe, folks. Take extra precautions. Today, we're going to cover one of my favorite topics, and that is value-based care reimbursement. The future of healthcare and the paradigm shift that is currently taking place is going to require coding professionals to get on the bandwagon. So I want to give you some great tips that are going to help you succeed in a value-based care world. So before we dive into our topic, it's time for your Monday dose of positivity, the Mindset Monday tip. And it's brought to you by Project Resume. When is the last time you had your resume updated? Your resume is literally your entry ticket to that next great opportunity. Project Resume will design a customized ATS-friendly resume to demonstrate your unique unique skills and experience. And even better, it's written by coders for coders. Make that investment in yourself today and visit projectresume.net and mention my code alpha coding for special pricing. So our Mindset Monday tip is all about the importance of staying humble and practicing humility. So the quote I want to share with you says, two things that define us, our patience when we have nothing and our attitude when we have everything. And I truly believe the power of this statement, because think about a time when you had absolutely nothing. You're down to your last dollar. Now think about a time when you had more than you could ever know what to do with. Abundance. Those two scenarios and your reaction to those scenarios really tells so much about who you are, what you value, your character, and you really want to keep a pulse on your reactions and make sure that you're staying humble, you're being grateful, because all of those things can be taken away from you in a second. So you really want to keep that at the forefront of your mind. It's important important to stay humble and be grateful. So today we're going to cover my top 10 pro tips for navigating value-based care reimbursement. So you're going to hear a lot of different terminology used in the context of value-based care reimbursement, things like population health management, capitation, risk adjustment, HCCs, PMPM, which stands for per member per month. The most important thing to conceptualize here is that the goal of value-based care is patient-driven and patient-centric. So ultimately, to predict cost and manage care based on populations instead of episodic care. Episodic care is what we're currently used to in a fee-for-service model. And this brings me to my pro tip number one, understand the paradigm shift from volume-based care to value-based care. So right now we're currently in a paradigm shift from a volume-based world, which is fee-for-service driven to a value-based world, which is really looking at populations and diseases, acute versus chronic and really dialing into things from a proactive approach instead of being reactive and looking at a patient comprehensively, caring for them more comprehensively instead of kind of piecemealing it together and a la carting it like we're doing in a volume-based world. So in a volume-based world, we're seeing lots of issues with patient outcomes and patient satisfaction and we're seeing high costs and improper payments being made. We're seeing higher utilization. We're seeing higher costs associated with this episode episodic care. So the reactive approach is not sustainable. We 
really have to shift to a proactive approach. And that's currently what's happening. We're going from fee-for-service to value-based. Medicare has been pushing this for years. They've been pushing meaningful use and PQRS and all of these different incentive programs as a phased approach to eventually take volume-based care and turn it into value-based care. So this paradigm shift has been taking place for years. And it's going to take a while before this thing is fully actualized and mainstreamed. But just keep that in mind. It's important that you adapt with the times. As a coding professional, you need to understand what value-based care is and where the industry is headed. Pro tip number two, risk adjustment shares commonalities with the inpatient DRG system. So it's important to note that there's a lot of similarities between HCC's risk adjustment and the DRG system. Now, the methodologies are completely separate, but there's lots of similarities in terms of the groupings and the categories and the emphasis on comprehensive clinical documentation. So there's a lot of similarities between HCCs and risk adjustment and the DRG system. And it's also important to note that DRGs force the inpatient setting to really invest in coders and high quality coders that understand anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, these concepts at a high level. And then there's oversight and there's clinical documentation, integrity and improvement, and there's utilization management. There's all these different layers in the inpatient setting because it could make the difference between millions of dollars for that one patient. So that level of detail and quality and focus has not been prevalent in the outpatient world. So those are things that are going to have to change. Now, keep in mind when we talk about risk adjustment and HCCs, we're talking about chronic conditions. We're talking about things like hypertension and depression and CKD and old MIs and amputations and ostomies and drug addiction. All of these different conditions have an HCC attached to them. Pro tip number three, get ready for acronym central. There's so many acronyms with value-based care. So VBC is a common one you'll see that's value-based care. You'll see VBP, which is value-based purchasing or value-based purchaser. You're going to see things like pay for performance and alternative payment models, APMs, PFP, MIPS, MACRA. All of these concepts are related to value-based care. HCCs, risk adjustment or RA. You're going to see stages and phases and you're going to see adjustments and penalties and acronyms like MEET, which is monitor, evaluate, assess, or treat, and TAMPER, which is treatment, assessment, monitor, medicate, plan, evaluate, or referral. These are things that you need to be intimately familiar with as it pertains to value-based care. This is the type of information that is extracted from the medical record in risk adjustment coding and risk adjustment data validation audits. And it's funny because we call the MACRA acronyms macronyms because there's so many acronyms, it's really hard to keep them all straight. Pro tip number four, know the different types of risk adjustment. So it's not just HCCs and CMS. There's a lot more to it. So there's two different categories, diagnosis-based and prescription-based. And then there's all these different subsets. So there's Medicare risk adjustment, there's commercial risk adjustment, there's prescription-based risk adjustment, and Medicaid also has their own separate risk adjustment model called the CDPS, which is Chronic Illness and Disease Payment System. So this is similar to the Medicare system, but it's based on capitated payments. There's also trumping lists and hierarchies, and then there are combinations called hybrid models. There are many different approaches, and we saw lots of expansion to these models with the 
Affordable Care Act. Pro tip number five, understand the purpose of the RADV. So the RADV stands for Risk Adjustment Data Validation Audit. And basically, this is the health plan going back and ascertaining that the HCCs and the RAF score, the Risk Adjustment Factor score, was reported appropriately. And they have the documentation to support the reporting. So what often happens in RADVs is they identify that the HCC was not supported with clinical documentation. So there's a whole process that is deployed to ensure that this information is captured appropriately. And if it's not reported appropriately, there's some type of corrective action plan that is deployed. So it's really important that you have a robust audit program if you are participating in any type of HCC reimbursement model. The best defense is a strong offense. So if you've been auditing regularly, monthly, or quarterly, it's going to be no surprise when an auditor comes in because you've already had that visibility. Pro tip number six, understand the different types of risk adjustment reviews. So there's three different types. There's retrospective, which is after the diagnosis has been reported, concurrent, which is an ongoing and prior to the diagnosis being reported, or prospective, which is ongoing as seen to identify values affecting the next year. So this is really a predictive analysis to determine future cost per patient. Pro tip number seven, the professional fee coding landscape must radically change. This goes back to pro tip number two about the commonalities between risk adjustment and the inpatient DRG system. Understand that coders have to be intimately familiar with disease processes, chronicity, the disease interactions, pharmacology associated with these chronic conditions. You have to be able to go into a medical record and understand all of the different treatment plans and medications that are associated with these chronic diseases because the provider often is not going to explicitly state these terms and it has to be extracted from the clinical documentation. So coders have to really step up their game. There's also a concept known as suspect logic, which is looking at things like medication lists and DME orders and labs and determining that there might be unreported diagnoses or underreported diagnoses. Maybe the patient is on a high dose of insulin and has multiple diabetic manifestations, but the provider is only reporting E11.9, which is controlled diabetes. That's a problem because it's not capturing the full specificity of the patient and all of the resources that are required for that patient. So this concept of suspect logic is really powerful because it can help uncover diseases and diagnoses that are not captured to their fullest specificity. And this is all based on pathophysiology, cause and effect relationship, looking at things like DME orders. So for example, if a patient is getting regular oxygen, but there's no respiratory condition documented, that would indicate that there is something underreported. So these are concepts that coders have to be intimately familiar with and giving our providers the clinical documentation training that's needed to meet these requirements is going to be a team effort. Pro tip number eight, physicians currently focus on CPT codes and not ICD-10 codes. So you'll notice that the physicians that work in high complex specialties like cardiology and oncology and ophthalmology, they have these expensive tests and drugs and procedures. Those specialties tend to focus more on the ICD-10 codes because they have to meet the LCD and the NCD criteria for these tests because Medicare notoriously will not pay for things that are not on these covered lists. So you have to be on top of reporting things at 
the highest level of specificity. Now, the vast majority of providers only focus on their CPT codes because that's the basis of their payment. So there's not a whole lot of clout given to the ICD-10 codes, which support the medical necessity, but fully capture the specificity of the patient. And there's all different types of additional factors that can let the insurance company know that this patient is non-compliant, this patient is a smoker, this patient has social determinants of health factors, all of these additional factors really play into the cost of that patient's care. Pro tip number nine, clinical documentation must support the diagnosis outside of the problem list. This is a huge issue. I see it all the time. The diagnoses are not supported out of the assessment that has the problem list that's been pulled in from the last 10 visits that the provider has seen the patient. There has to be support of the diagnosis outside of just the code and the code description. There has to be some type of treatment plan. There has to be some type of medication, some type of indication that this is an active problem, not something that's a past problem. This is a big issue with cancer and determining if it's a current and active cancer versus history of cancer. And there's a lot of controversy with physicians on how to categorize these conditions, but it makes a big difference in the risk adjustment coding world. You want to code all comorbidities for each encounter that are current and active, but don't confuse the ENM coding guidelines where we actually level each code with the HCC guidelines, which require all diagnoses to be reported. So problem lists alone are not going to suffice for these clinical documentation requirements. Pro tip number 10, the CRC credential is the most undervalued AAPC credential on the market today. I firmly believe that the CRC, which is the Certified Risk Adjustment Coding Professional Credential, is going to be the hottest credential on the market. It's going to be the most sought after, and it's going to be a credential that every coding professional is going to need in order to survive the next five to 10 years. The landscape is going to change. What got you in this industry, what's gotten you to this point is not going to be what carries you forward over the next 10 years. There's going to be so much innovation and technology is going to become a lot smarter. So you really have to be able to utilize your critical thinking skills. And the CRC credential is such a great opportunity. There's no apprentice designation. So if you're a new coder, this is the perfect opportunity for you to get your foot in the door. There's tons of jobs. There's tons of entry level opportunities. I'm seeing all types of health plans. Optum is hiring hundreds of coders that have this CRC credential. So I truly believe that if you're going to make any investment in a new credential, the CRC absolutely has to be one of them. So grab a pen and paper to summarize my top 10 pro tips for navigating value-based care reimbursement. Number one, understand the paradigm shift from volume to value. Number two, risk adjustment shares commonalities with the inpatient DRG system. Number three, get ready for acronym central. Number four, know the different types of risk adjustment. Number five, understand the purpose of the RADV. Number six, understand the different types of reviews. Number seven, the professional fee coding landscape must radically change. Number eight, physicians currently focus on CPT codes and not ICD-10 codes. Number nine, clinical documentation must support the diagnosis outside of the problem list. Number 10, the CRC credential is the most undervalued AAPC credential on the market today. So it's time for this week's coding pro tip and it's brought to you by Clara. Clara is a holistic secure community 
communication platform that specializes in telehealth and telemedicine. Take your practice virtual in a matter of minutes. Mention my code alpha coding for 10% off. Visit clara.com for more information. If you have a coding related question and would like it to be featured in one of our coding pro tips, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. So this week's coding pro tip comes to us from Arizona. Hi, Tony. Do you think that the ENM coding changes for 2021 will be delayed given the current pandemic situation? I do think that this is a question a lot of coding professionals have on their mind. How much time and effort do I need to invest in learning these new guidelines and understanding these new concepts? So this is just my opinion, but I don't think that the 2021 changes are going to be delayed because we already saw a preview of these changes with all of the telehealth regulations that came about in March, April, and May. So with all of the changes in the leveling requirements, we're really getting a preview of the 2021 changes that are to come. So I don't think that they'll be delayed. I think that we will see them come to fruition. And it's important that you get yourself prepared and well-versed on the 2021 ENM coding changes. Please remember to hit that subscribe button now so you never miss another episode. Also, be sure to drop us a rating and review on iTunes. We really appreciate your support. So this concludes today's episode. Until next week, thank you for listening to the Alpha Coding Podcast. We'll see you next Monday. For more information about medical coding and billing pro tips, including how to hire alpha coding experts, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at www.alphacodingexperts.com. Thank you.